Hello, and welcome to Investment Week's brand new Outlook for 2022 podcast series, where today we will be focusing on global equities. My name is Kathleen Gallagher, and I'm Features Editor at Investment Week, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Colm Graham, Head of Multi-Asset Strategies at Rebecco, Virgin Messenev, Global CIO of Equity at Allianz Global Investors, and Simon Edelston, Co-Manager of the Midwind International Investment Trust. To start off, I was hoping you could introduce yourselves and tell us what you think will have the biggest impact on global equities next year. Simon, do you mind starting for us? Not at all. Good morning. And uh, thank you for having me. Uh, my name's Simon Edelston. I manage the Artemis Global Select Fund with Alex Illingworth and also the Midwind Investment Trust. So um, we, we try to uh, run a sort of cautious approach to managing people's equities, uh, which I think is particularly important given how far global equity markets have risen over the last 10 or 12 years. And, and the year we've got coming up, I think we'll have some particular hurdles in it. Um, as we speak, the newspapers are full of talks of inflation. Um, but the very bizarre thing is that bond yields are still very, very low. So the issue for next year is, are bond yields going to carry on being so much lower than inflation levels? Um, if they start to move up, I mean, at the moment, inflation levels very high, and yet bond investors, uh, despite US inflation being, you know, five and a half percent at the moment, uh, bond investors seem quite happy to buy American Treasury bonds at around one and a half percent, which seems pretty strange from the point of view of equity people. Um, but again, it just means that from our point of view, equities look better value than bonds, <laughs> um, because there are plenty of equities out there on perfectly sensible ratings in, around the world uh, with much higher yields than that, uh, which can cope with a little bit of inflation. Uh, so the issue to keep an eye on for our, to our mind over the next 12 months is how will markets react if, if those bond yields do start to move up towards the level of inflation, which could be quite a big move, which sectors will that favour, which ones uh, will get? Uh, hits because uh, normally rising interest rates do hit chunks of the market. And does that mean the one should be moving away from the stocks which have uh, done so well over the last 10 years, particularly the most expensive stocks in the market, the tech stocks? Uh, do you need a more balanced approach uh, to cope with that sort of market? So ho hopefully that paints a picture. Definitely. Thanks very much. Um, and Colin, what about you? Hi, I'm Colin, um, I work for Rubico and I work in the multi-asset strategies, I'm head of the multi-asset strategies. Um, so I have a slightly different perspective and just picking up on Simon's point about uh, bonds versus equities, where we can see that the equity risk premium is positive and attractive relative to bonds, even if absolute valuations and equities are expensive. So we still see across the piece, as long-term investors, we see the equities um, being more attractive than bonds here. One thing I would point out with si to Simon's point is that long-term inflation expectations haven't moved that much. So if you look out in the US out to five years and 10 years, you know, you're getting reading somewhere between 2.2 and 2.8, which is, I think, perfectly within the Fed's scope for reasonable inflation going forward. So from that perspective, you know, if oil prices don't go over $100, then inflation will come down next year. It's just a question whether it's going to four and staying there or going to below four, going towards two. So that, that's the question for next year. So the two key events for me next year are on the back of that, the rate hikes in the US and the midterm elections. So you know, how are you going to sweeten the US consumer 
ahead of the elections while interest rates are going up. So that's going to bring volatility uh, to the market. And for us, we'll bring opportunities. And I think for all, <laughs> all of us as active investors, this will be an opportunity for us to either retake the portfolios or to get into positions that we've been looking at for a while. The second one I would be looking at is what's going to happen in the Far East in terms of China and how the Chinese policymakers are going to deal with the slowdown in Chinese economy, the low credit impulse ahead of the 20th Party Congress in October next year. So those are the two things that I'd be looking at next year. Great, thank you. And Virginie? So I am uh, Virginie Maisonneuve, I'm uh, the uh, head of uh, equities for Alliance Global Investors. Uh, a lot of the points that were made are really good points and, and I, I'm expecting a 2022 year that will be very volatile, definitely not an ETF uh, kind of uh, market, uh, definitely uh, strong stock picking uh, skills. And some of the elements that are going to be very important have been mentioned, inflation, uh, of course, uh, we've done the work where inflation between basically three and 5% is actually okay for equities. You clearly want to be on the pricing power side of equities and not the price deckers. So as you know, in the US, for example, uh, profit margins are one of the uh, highest points we've ever seen as a percentage of GDP. You really want to be in the companies that are going to be able to continue to grow their margins and not companies are going to be, uh, you know, basically badly impacted by inflation. And when I think of inflation, I really think about three components. One is the base components or the rebound component that we've seen from post-COVID. And of course, as we you know, make our way through 2022, that's going to tape, you know, become more tame, uh, if you want, overall. Uh, then the cyclical element, we have to remember that we're still in a positive cycle. So we have, uh, you know, GDP growth on a global basis that will remain quite strong, around 4.4%, uh, you know, so still very strong. And of course, you have the structural element of inflation. And this is the part to me that's really important to understand. I think there's a calibration issue, for example, around the uh, green energy path. Uh, that's very important to understand. Uh, if you take, uh, you know, EVs and the need for copper, if you take, you know, so there's something that's happening uh, on a 20, 30 year basis that has immediate impact that's not being calibrated very well, that will be inflationary. Uh, another really important point for me is where are the real rates? So we know rates are going up. Uh, in a way, I find that comforting to be out of an emergency mode. But where are real rates? Because you could have rates going up and real rates still being, uh, you know, very attractive, i.e. attractive for people to put money in risk risky assets because of that inflationary component. Uh, where's the tipping point? And I think we'll be fine in 2022 around that. Of course, COVID waves remain uh, very important to watch and how we can deal with them. And as Colin mentioned, uh, definitely the political cycle uh, in the US will have an impact and regulations. I think the regulatory framework around the world, all of this will, uh, will be important to watch in 2022. Great, thank you. Um, so yes, on COVID, as as we're recording, you know, we've seen astronomically high figures over the past couple of days. Do you think this will have an impact on markets, or you know, we're kind of used to these cycles now? Um, 
Colin, do you want to kick us off? I, I can. I think that the impact of the various cycles that we're seeing is lowering. Um, we, you, the research I've read suggests that you know viruses mutate, they become more contagious, but less severe. Um, and you know, I think that the scientists have been very clear that herd immunity is the only way we can deal with COVID. Um, you know, Spanish flu is still around. You know, it's almost 100 years. Yeah, so let's let's be think about this in terms of how do we get everybody into herd immunity well if you get a strain that's less severe but more contagious then that's going to speed this process up so i think the shocks are going to be a lot less in amplitude as we go through 2022 great simon would you agree um yeah pr pretty much uh, i do think although although the um omicron um is clearly less um, less powerful in its effects. Unfortunately, it's much more contagious. And so the emphasis in terms of slowing down or even stopping uh, infection uh, comes down to how, may, how what percentage of your population is inoculated. Uh, so there's, uh, as I'm sure you can see, there's, there's a renewed uh, focus on the last 20%. Um, in, in the case of the UK, the last 30%. Uh, in some parts of the country. So really quite a lot of people are not inoculated. Um, at the moment, as we speak, in the UK, people, uh, politicians taking this quite seriously. Some people are saying playing it up quite a lot, but we haven't actually got a lockdown. We've just got everyone choosing not to go to parties, <laughs> choosing to cancel everything, because uh, people are quite frightened. There's, there's a big um, contrast here with America. Uh, where at the moment the, the attitude in America seems to be, oh, this one isn't so severe, so we'll just ignore it. Um, so unfortunately, over the next few months, uh, I can see just very short term in the market. I can see the American consumer, which has been um, leading in American recovery, <clears throat> uh, actually going back and taking a back seat, Christmas not being quite so good, uh, and some of the short term news in America. Uh, and of course, you've got the problem that Biden can't really... Um, act very aggressively on this, particularly not with the uh, midterms. So I'm afraid there could be one last problem for the markets, but otherwise I totally agree, this will be a fading problem over time on the basis that everyone has boosters every year. Uh, so you could end up with national flu inoculation programs, which we've never had before. And we, you could end up with a level of compulsion some people might find politically uncomfortable. Um, but it does seem more likely that you're going to be carrying on pressing for national inoculation rather than allowing even a weaker form of this virus to, um, to uh, spread. Great, thank you. And Virginie, what do you think about the COVID situation? And I guess we've touched on America quite a bit. Do you kind of see the significant outperformance of US equities going to continue into next year? Well, so on, on COVID, I think that, you know, as, as Colin mentioned, herd immunity is very important. The one thing that seems um, quite unpredictable to me is how fast uh, the mutation of any new strain, you know, virus uh, can happen that won't be protected, uh, that we won't be protected from, from the uh, current uh, vaccines and then, you know, the cycle for new. So, uh, and to vaccinate, you know, 95% of the world population is going to take some time. So this is, this is the unknown. But as investors, you know, as long-term investors, what we could do is just anticipate that we're going to have volatility and there's a certain level of uncertainty around that. And provided you have a clear pathway on 
where you want your money to, to be invested and where you see the positive long-term opportunities, then it's, it's basically navigating that volatility uh, for clients' portfolios with that perspective. And of course, understanding, keeping you know, updated on, on what's going on. I think uh, it's really interesting to see the difference between uh, the Asian uh, strategy with the zero COVID policy. I just uh, learned that uh, you know, Hong Kong, for example, is gonna have an additional uh, quarantine uh, system where people will have to go into a government uh, entity before they can quarantine into a hotel. And that's for a week, so it's an additional buffer. So clearly that has an impact on economies that were extremely open and now need to adjust and uh, you know it's both um, you know mentality and business culture that's being impacted but so on on the US versus Europe I think you know what's positive for Europe over the next 12 months is clearly I always think of, of it as a train. So you had China was first in COVID and put, you know, support, monetary support first, then the US, then Europe. And of course, Europe still has a fair amount and will probably be less fast at taking away, at tapering, at raising rates. So from that angle, uh, you know, Europe has a, a tailwind that's going to be quite positive uh, in 2022. All this said, I really believe that it's not about US versus Europe. It's about specific themes and, and sector opportunities that you're seeing. And also the context in which uh, after taper is done in the US, rates increase. If they're increasing in a context of global growth or growth, uh, you know, it's going to be uh, the normalization uh, sort of game versus the super tightening game. And as uh, was mentioned before, long-term expectations as reflected by long-term rates. So with this in mind, there are still a lot of things that are like on a global basis and, and in the U.S., but some of the themes of disruptions, enablers, innovation, of course, climate, uh, cyber security, healthy living, smart cities, all of those are themes that I like to play basically on a global basis. Great, thank you. And Colin, your thoughts on the US versus Europe? Or do you think, again, yeah. is it more um, sector oriented than that? Uh, I think it is. Uh, got a lot more uh, sector orientation, but I think the lack of safe haven assets out there has pushed people into risk assets. Um, and to Virginie's point about real interest rates being low, this has forced um, people into equities. And you look at US equity returns, there's only been one year since 2008 where US equities have returned a number less than minus 1%. So there's only been one year where US equities have actually <laughs> performed poorly since 2008. Um, and that's why, you know, on our five to seven year time horizon, when we look at our five year ex expectation of returns, the publication, the roasting 20s, you know, the cape is flashing red and telling you you should be cautious on equities. Um, but this hasn't stopped equities going up. So I'm not sure what the catalyst is at the moment. It might be interest rates. It might be real rates reaching zero, but at the moment, equities are probably your best return. And if you look over a five-year time horizon, your returns are going to be front-end loaded. So they're going to be like this next year before you get into the more tricky 2023, 2024. If I move to Europe, the yeah, are cheaper. Absolutely agree. But I'm not sure what the catalyst is that's going to realise that. 
Um, yeah, the wave of liquidity has lifted all boats, but I'm not sure if you withdraw that liquidity, um, the winners aren't going to stay the winners. And you, know, you very rarely see a change in leadership in bull markets without a bear market happening. So from that perspective, I do worry. The valuation gap is as high as it's ever been, um, you know, going back um, 20 years on a PE basis. Um, but it's very difficult to see, you know, what's going to what's going to happen. So if I look at what's going to happen in Europe, do I think that the catalyst will unleash the value in things like autos, banks, chemicals, apparel, which are the sectors that Euro, Euro stocks are overweight versus the, um, the US? I'm not sure. So we're sort of sticking with the US as our sort of preferred area. Um, but more domestic. So if you look at the top performing sectors in, um, in the US outside semis, it's been REITs, it's been house builders, it's been energy. So very, again, thinking about domestically orientated um, sectors of the US. So stick with the US. Great. Um, and Simon, are you still US strong? <laughs> uh, well, we've been very overweight US the last 10 years. Um, and we haven't been put off by um, by these sort of top-down views of, um, of of the multiples, because you know the American equity market is a huge market. We're stock pickers, and we can always find shares which are not so expensive. Uh, so, for what it's worth, just linking a couple of linking a couple of subjects together. My biggest U.S. holding at the moment is Pfizer, um, which is on 14 times earnings and has a yield of 2.7%. So, you know, this, the, the, the newspapers have generally been full of advice, oh, America's terribly expensive. Well, it, it doesn't take very long to find an American stock, which isn't very expensive. Um, the, the reason the headline figure on America looks very high compared with history is because the biggest stocks in America now are, you know, Apple and Google and so on and so forth, which, you know, the likes of which the world has never seen before. They trade on quite high looking multiples, but they're actually enormously profitable. Uh, but when you look at these 20 year, or, or if, if you pay too much attention to 20 year valuation charts, you're not comparing like with like. I mean, 20 years ago, the biggest stocks in America were Exxon, uh, General Motors. <laughs> I mean, they're dreadful companies with enormous amounts of debt and highly cyclical. So not surprisingly, they traded on very low multiples. So, so I think it's very important to get down to the cold face and pick your stocks, as, as Virginie was saying earlier. Uh, that said, I've actually been reducing quite significantly the amount of money I've got in American technology stocks over the last six months because some of the valuations have become um, eye-wateringly high. Uh, you've seen a lot of, uh, to my mind, speculative investment now creeping in around uh, uh, Bitcoin investing, a lot of retail investors getting getting excited. You don't really do uh, that much fundamental analysis, I fear. Uh, an awful lot of tech IPOs collapsing uh, as soon as they come to the market. So there are signs of uh, speculation there. And on the other side, on a one-year view, the, the markets that people have been uh, have abandoned really this year are China and um, Japan to a certain extent. Uh, China, of course, is quite complicated because the Communist Party has clearly decided it, it wants to play a bigger role in the economy and um, give less money to us foreign capitalists. So uh, that, that point has been well made, but the market has fallen an enormously long way. Um, quite publicly in the spring, we sold all our Chinese holdings, but we will go back to China at some point, not quite yet, I don't think. 
Uh, but we have got quite a lot of money in Japan. Japan at the moment is still locked down, terrified of COVID, even though it hasn't got any or hardly got any. Um, so on a one-year view, that's where the recovery could come. China is cutting interest rates. China and Japan don't have a problem with inflation. So if you wanted something to sort of um, uh, add a little recovery potential to, a, to a, a portfolio, you didn't want to have all of your eggs in, in um, America. I, I think adding a bit in Japan, our Japanese investments are principally around automation, by the way. And again, a, a couple of um, comments have come in about inflation. If inflation gets really big in the system, the only way in which business can really do much about that is by investing and investing in productivity. That means spending money on robotics and automation. And the Japanese companies, the world leaders in this. So we, we do expect as inflation comes through for that to boost spending on, on um, improving productivity and be good for those companies. They're not the cheapest shares in Japan. Um, but uh, so we've got about 15% of our, my portfolio in robotics, machine learning, artificial intelligence, mainly biosportization stocks. And again, you've got to pick the stocks. Don't worry about the market too much. Find, find the companies which are making the stuff the world needs. Great, thank you. Well, we've talked a lot about, um, I guess, the volatility and the changing markets for next year and the need to, to kind of be stock pickers. Um, so I guess to finish up, is there specific stock sectors, regions that you're particularly interested in for, for next year? Virginie, do you mind kicking us off? Yeah, I can't give you a specific stock examples, but I can give you areas of the markets that I like. So in addition to the thematics that I've mentioned around innovation, disruption, enabling climate change, sustainability, healthy living, uh, smart cities, et cetera, which are done on a global basis. Uh, I think in this inflationary, if you take the theme of inflationary pressure, you certainly want to have some commodities in your portfolio, particularly if uh, you can find some uh, ESG, uh, well-ranked ESG uh, commodity players, and uh, particularly around the uh, energy uh, transition, as well as the uh, electric vehicle transition and the impact that that has, if you want, on that sector. I think real, real assets in general also will probably do, do well. Uh, definitely positive on, on equities in this world of negative uh, real rate. But also if you look at, um, you know, a dividend yield basis and you look at equity yield versus uh, bonds, for example, still attractive there and perhaps a bit more attention to, to that yield element of some of the equities. The UK, for example, looks quite interesting from that perspective. Um, some balance between growth and, and value, very selective in financials, clearly with the, uh, you know, normalization, very slow normalization of rates, uh, prepare to buy in tech on vol, as what Simon has mentioned, some of the those names are going to be there and are really big contributors over the next uh, decades. And, and if you have volatility, you really want to buy into that. But I also like the industrial sector. I think given the profit margins that we are seeing and the need to transform a world where hard tech and software, if you want, is at a tipping point, it's very important for people to keep innovating and, and that is uh, basically CapEx. Uh, and then finally, in China, I like China. I think China is uh, needs a, an asset class of its own. You have to be prepared to be very long-term, but given the valuations now, 
I would definitely be looking at buying uh, China. And there, what I like is I like China innovation and what I call healthy living. Uh, innovation in the sense that a lot of people are still looking at China as the t-shirt manufacturer or the, uh, you know, low added value. And I think what's happened with the trade wars and what I call digital Darwinism, you know, that's happening around the world is China has realized some of its vulnerabilities and is definitely driving an increase in its uh, value added. And the innovation potential, if you look at biotech, if you look at tech, et cetera, uh, will surprise people uh, dramatically. Brilliant. Lots of lots of good points there. Colin, what about you? So in terms of the, the only two assets that we think are looking attractive are equities, for the reasons I've already said. And then commodities is the only uh, asset that we believe is going to return above its long-term average over the next five years. So you know, given the nominal um, GDP growth around the world is so strong, you know, the IMF um, numbers are, you know, 5.9 for next year, 4.9 for the year after, you know, and that's the fastest growth for 50 years, you know, and so from that perspective, you see growth is happening across G7, you know, the monetary policy is still expansionary, and let's not forget about that, you know, it's still expansionary, it might be tightening, but it's still a massive boost, so, you know, it's little wonder that inflationary pressures are growing um, around the world. So the one surprise for me would be that EM and China would be the best performing equity market next year. Um, and yeah, there's plen plenty of opportunity for us and other investors to increase our exposures to EM. It's just a case of taking advantage of this volatility. Um, and we see China as being a market for opportunity for skilled out asset allocators, but also investors, active investors with long term time horizons, because these valuations are incredibly cheap. But you just don't know what the catalyst is and when that catalyst is going to come to realize that value. You know, global growth is strong, credit still cheap. You know, so that's the positive side. If you if you have a view that the world is a glass half empty then you know you then worry about inflationary pressures you worry about wage pressures becoming embedded in the inflationary expectations which means that inflation doesn't come down as much as expected and you know covid 4.0 could become you know headlines through next year as well so that would be the sort of on the downside but i do believe that equity is going to be the place to be and there are opportunities both from a stock pickers but and also an asset allocation perspective Brilliant. Thank you. And Simon? Um, well, I mentioned the, um, um, the part of uh, our thematic portfolio we, we think has the most potential next year, which is robots. Um, but you've got, to, uh, you've got to balance that around a core of stocks which can do perfectly well, even if inflation overshoots. I think, I think we've mainly talked about it behaving reasonably well, but these things can overshoot. Markets can get quite worried about it. Um, Amazingly, the, the really old, the very well-established tech stocks are uh, perfectly capable of coping with an enormous, you know, with significant changes of inflation. Um, they're not too affected by it. They're also not affected by um, further um, further virus mutations. Uh, so we still have companies like Google, companies like Microsoft at the core of our portfolio, Amazon. Uh, we just don't have all of them, and we avoid companies which are getting 
getting involved in fantasy such as Facebook turning its name into Meta and uh, talking to us all about how we're going to spend half our lives staring at the screen. I, mean, I think we already spent quite a lot of our lives <laughs> staring at the screen. I don't think, uh, speaking for myself, I don't really need to spend too much time in the metaverse. I've got other things to do. Um, so I think that there's some daft stuff goes on in that space, but the core stocks carry on growing very fast, carry on making lots of money. Um, and then on top of that, you want companies that are good old fashioned companies that can cope with inflation. So we've got a number of American railroad stocks in there, um, which have a hundred years track record of coping with inflation, um, but they're, they're freight railways. So they also benefit from the recovery in the American economy. The, the stocks have already done quite well, um, but as the American economy really is going pretty well, you can have them as part of your core. Um, and, and then, as, as, uh, as I mentioned earlier, healthcare is another area. The healthcare sector actually has done pretty badly the last couple of years, which strikes us as pretty strange, given that they're part of the solution, not part of the problem. Uh, the future of healthcare certainly seems to have a lot to do with diagnostics. Uh, testing, as you may have noticed, doesn't seem to go away. In fact, we seem to be doing more and more of it. I think locally, we've, um, our pharmacists have run out of um, lateral flow tests in the last few weeks. Uh, so we've got lots of diagnostic companies, which again, are, um, some of the best in the world that trade on really quite modest ratings. Uh, some, some of the more advanced ones are quite expensive. Uh, we've got another 10% of our portfolio in diagnostics and, and, and the future of health, because uh, we, we see no way in which health is not going to be a priority for most uh, wealthy countries going forwards. Uh, and hopefully that's a sort of a reasonably balanced portfolio. I mean, that's the last thing I'd, I'd say. The year we've got coming up is one of some uncertainty. You don't normally have, I mean, I don't think in history there's ever been a market where you've had inflation this high, even if it's temporary, and bond yields that low. So we don't quite know how that adjustment will play out. Uh, so for us, this is not a period in which you need, in which it'd be wise to go off and do anything too experimental and too risk-taking. Yeah, you, you want most of your money. Equity is much cheaper than bonds. But a lot of people in the equity market don't want to have to take that much risk, won't want to take that much risk. So, so we're sticking most of our money in things which are better safe than sorry. And there are plenty of them out there. Brilliant. Well, it's going to be an interesting year by the sounds of it. So that's plenty to look out for. Um, well, all that's left is for me to say thank you very much and um, look forward to seeing what happens next. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Kathleen. Thanks,